When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you this, uh, I was going to say bright sunny morning, but it's, the sun's just gone in, so my mood's lifted a, a little bit, so it's Christmas, Christmas is over, Kieran, so you can imagine what sort of mood I'm in. I would talk about the FA Cup, but it's, I'm not going to talk about it until the third round's over, which will be in about two and a half weeks' time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm still, re- I'm still recovering from Brighton's first clean sheet uh, in in nine months in the Premier League in, in a match which I think it's fair to say how Sky managed to get three three minutes of highlights um, onto, onto their clips reel is, is, a, is a hell of an achievement. Well, it's the fact they have to show it again as well in full at some stage because of the broadcasting deal. It's like, you do wonder who's going to sit down and, and watch that, basically, knowing that unless there's some it, it, bizarre whatever happened to the likely lad scenario where someone has been away and doesn't know the score, says to the family, don't tell me what happened. And it, uh, yes, and for those of you under the age of 60, that's a classic episode of a 1960s sitcom where two men try to avoid uh, knowing the outcome of a game. I think Bulgaria versus England, I believe it was, because uh, they're going to watch the highlights on TV later. It's very, very, very funny. Uh, and I won't do a spoiler alert in case there is one person going, I've not watched that episode. <laughs> it's questions day, Kieran, so should we... Should we... <laughs> We've already wasted three and a half minutes by the look of things not talking about questions. So, shall we, shall we crack on? Let's roll. Let's, oh, God, very good. That's that's why you're the groovy accountant. Uh, our first I, I've question. Become very groovy. I've Have become you? very groovy in the last 48 hours uh, following the Nottingham Forest story. Uh, yes, which lots went. Lots of people getting very worked up about that. Which went from. Uh, Club I can't name to Kieran Maguire says Nottingham Forest going into yes. <laughs> going bankrupt. Yes, groovy. Somebody said to me over Christmas when they were asking about how the pod started, and when I said producer guy phoned me up and said he knew this groovy accountant, and they said that should have, surely that should have set alarm bells ringing. Yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna do a pod with a groovy accountant. Okay. Uh, David Fairhurst has our first question, and it's a really interesting one, Kieran. Um, uh, the PGMOL, says David Furs, the, the PGMOL, of course, are the basically the referees' company, so the, they supply referees for Premier League games. So David says, the PGMOL is a private registered company at Company's House, and as far as I can see, it holds a monopoly on matchday officiating. 
with some admitted mistakes by officials costing clubs points and potentially relegation, is it possible for clubs or supporters' trusts to sue the PGMOL? Surely they are not exempt from litigation. Now, interestingly, Kieran, when we were researching our last book, uh, if you thought uh, FIFA was like North Korea in trying to find stuff out, the PGMOL was the hardest organisation of all to research, especially in terms of how much referees were paid, what their basic rate is, what their bonuses are. The only thing we could discover is that um, there's a huge discrepancy between the the pay of male referees and female referees, although that may have changed because we now have a female referee in the Premier League, but I suspect um, it hasn't. But I was astonished by the level of secrecy involved. So we, we, we don't know how much referees are paid. We can make a ballpark guess, but it's it's quite a lot of money for the uh, FIFA registered officials. But this is an interesting, and I, I suspect, Kieran, the answer, the short answer to this question is going to be no, isn't it? Um, no, it, oh. it depends. I think we, we would have to go <laughs> okay. here, um, of course. Uh, and I absolutely agree with you. Um, I contacted PGMO. I says, you know, you know, we've had asked the EFL, we've had asked the Scottish Premier League, you know, and that, we've had asked Nick DeMarco and so on. Um, and they've they've all been willing to come on and have a chat with us. And we said, look, you know, this, we're on the side of referees. You know, I, I used to referee football myself. We've had the the referee charity on. Um, you know, we're on we're on your side genuinely, and it was no, no, we we just don't want to talk, and and I find I find that bizarre, um, and I don't see the benefits from it. Um, is it possible for a club or a supporters trust to sue them? But well, it it is physically possible. Yes, would would I recommend it? Certainly. Not and simply for this. First of all, what are you going to sue them for? Um, yeah, the the PG, PGMOL they appoint the referees. So, you know, if if somebody books you to do a gig, they're not responsible for your jokes. You know, no. if, 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 if he said, "Well, yeah, joke number seventeen, nobody left," and I go, "Well, we're going to sue." You know, so we will. Um, so. If we're looking at the potential areas over which there could be litigation, could they be sued for negligence? Um, could they be because, let's say, that a referee was not qualified to referee that match? So, what we have to do is we have to look at three issues. Um, does PGMOL have a duty of care towards? football clubs towards football fans see I don't think it's got any duty of care towards football fans um so I think from a supporters trust point of view it would be a difficult one does it have a duty of care yes yes it probably does because it's been appointed it's got a contract and so on um has there been a breach of that duty um well we all make mistakes in life we all make mistakes at work so if a referee makes an error in good faith um and you know i am very much of the view that referees give what they see um and i'm those people that make the accusations of vendettas conspiracies and so on 
I, I think that yeah, they are tinfoil hat wearers as far as I'm concerned. Referee might make a decision which, upon looking at it from a, from 17 camera angles, actually looks like it was probably the wrong decision. But you give a decision in real time. VAR has reduced the number of errors. So has there been a breach of that? I think that would be very difficult to prove. Um, and has there been loss suffered as a result of that breach? Well, I think that third issue, you, you could prove if a club gets relegated. Um, and we saw um, during COVID, remember when, I think it was Aston Villa, Villa first had came a back. goal yeah, Sheffield allowed. Sheffield yeah. United, yeah. And, and that... And that was a failure of VAR, of the VAR cameras to see a ball crossing or not crossing the line. And club was relegated on the back of that. So there is historical evidence that um, incorrect decisions uh, have resulted in clubs being relegated or promoted. Equally, you could say players have missed sitters, goalkeepers have dived over the ball. Um, yeah, we... we wasn't there one where uh, a, a goalkeeper in the Premier League on the final day of the season uh, had an absolute mare and there was lots of uh, lots, lots of conspiracy theories about that at the time and so on? Um, so I think it, it would be foolhardy of a club to go down that particular route. The only reason why I think a club might choose to go down that is if you have an owner who is publicity-hungry says, we've been relegated, it's nothing to do with me, Garv, it's nothing to do with the manager or players, it's all down to the referees, I'm going to sue PGML. They might do it from the point of view of a publicity stunt. They would be advised, we really don't think this is going to get you very far. But if they then choose to not take that advice, they could go ahead, and I think they would almost certainly lose. You would, you would have to prove that there was a knowing... Uh, a knowing degree of incompetence by the referee. And yeah, we all disagree with referees' decisions, but you know, we all we, we all make our own decisions in life. Yeah. What's your favorite Teletubby, for example? You know, and, and you make you make a decision based on your opinion there, what's your favorite music? Blah, blah, blah. Um so I I just don't see how it could go ahead. And if it did then where do PGML stand in terms of, you know, are they insured for this? Yes, there's some form of insurance. Do the individual referees have insurance? No, they don't, but they're employed by PGML, so they should be covered by that. Um, it, it, all, it all starts to get very messy. Um, it's not been seen in other sports, so there is no precedent. Um, so so I, I, I think this is a, a classic pre-match or post-match pub mm. discussion question mm. yeah which 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 we as we've always said are the greatest you know and and i would imagine you're sitting there with your mates cup like yeah why, why can't we go and sue the bastards yeah 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 <clears throat> a number of things to unpack there kieran first of all uh tinky winky is the okay. favorite tele, tele but only because i knew the chap who used to play tinky winky until oh, really uh, yeah until the um what we can only refer to as the incident uh, which I'm not at liberty to go into any further. Uh, secondly, Kieran, as you know, I don't do jokes. I do routines that tear away at the savage face of humanity to reveal the truth underneath. Occasionally, jokes about Prince Andrew and the bucket of shit. 
Um, I think Everton Wimbledon. Uh, Everton Wimbledon was a game. I think you're thinking of yeah. way back when. When yeah. Yeah. Hans Sagers, I believe. Hans Sagers. Number Hans of Sagers, yes. Number of rickets. Um, I, I think that there's there's two problems here. In in the pro suing referees camp, I think people might say, well, if if Sheffield United can try and sue West Ham for for a, playing a, a what seemed to be an unregistered player, or you know the, the whole Tevez incident, mm-hmm. you know, if if other clubs can threaten to sue Everton, who got relegated, then then why are referees exempt from that? I don't agree with it, but that that that's an argument. Um, I think the yeah. biggest issue against David's question is Darren England included. I don't think there's any conspiracy for referees uh, against my my particular club. I get absolutely few, particularly with Darren England. We can't win when he's refereeing, it seems. But that's not because he's he's biased against us. Because the prob- the problem is you have to accept that every referee refereeing at the Premier League level has been through years of training and testing and examining and is clearly a good enough referee to be refereeing at the Premier League level. And I think the one thing we can all agree on in, in English football is that there is no level of corruption from from referees. Referees, however much it looks to us like that is the case sometimes, however angry we are in the Porson's arms afterwards, you have to accept that referees are making their decisions on on a basis of fair judgment, and I don't think any court in the land would 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 actually disagree with that. But again, it comes back that every now and again we get the argument about whether a player who hurts another player on a football pitch whether he can be sued in the same way that if he'd done it off the pitch, you know. And it it, it does seem strange that the rules are different on and off the pitch, but I I can't see any situation where any court in the land would say, yeah, you've got a fair case. That this referee's decision clearly cost you promotional relegation, even you know, even in the cup final. Even even Mark Clattenburg, who I've said before, admitted that the worst mistake he ever made in a game was in the 2016 uh, FA Cup final, and it cost Palace a goal and potentially the FA Cup. But even I don't think he did that deliberately, and, and he's arguably the worst ref Palace ever had. Although other clubs, mainly in the top six, would say he was the best referee. They ever had, but it's 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 subjective, and you don't you don't want to take that away from the game. And also, who's going to become a referee if they think there's a, a the potential for them being sued for a decision that they've made? And then where does it stop if if the linesman doesn't put his flag up? We saw the instant I think it's Burnley Man City when a player got injured when the the linesman should have you'd think it was so offside he should have put his flag up. Do you then are you then able to sue that linesman or that assistant referee for? For not putting his flag up, because the answer is no, because the rules are you don't do that. So it's um, it's it's a minefield, Kieran. And then there, one or, there are one or two referees I'd like to see negotiate a minefield every now and again at <laughs> five to five at Sellers Park. But there you go. Um, on to safer matters, Kieran. Paul Watkinson, Paul Watkinson, Happy New Year, Paul says I have a question about my local club, Oxford United. I'm worried now that I didn't say Happy New Year to David. Let's take it as a, a, a given. To all our question answers, that is Happy New Year. Um, Paul's question is about Oxford United, and he says our current home, the Kassam Stadium, is owned by well, Mr. Kassam. Thank you for that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the 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 well is the bit I like. That's that's very sweet. With proposals now published for a new stadium on a different site, do we know how the building of the new stadium will be funded, and who will own it? it it's a strange one, Kieran, isn't it? Because we we remember that dreadful manor ground and, and it got developed, but only developed on three sides. 
and no one ever knew whether that's because Mr. Sam had run out of money or there was a planning commission error, but the, you just had this odd car park at one end and a, a, a really nice three-sided ground. So this is the fact that they're moving already is an intriguing one. Yes, I think they've got a lease which expires in 2026. Uh-huh, so right. they've got two and a half years unless they can renegotiate the lease. Um, the The new stadium... Uh, is going to cost, I think it's, it's 16, 18,000 capacity. Um, Oxford is, a, is an expensive area in yeah. terms of real yeah. estate. So, right. so you know, first of all, you've got to find the land. I think, I think there has been somebody, so it's, it's called a triangle, something triangle. Um, and the estimated cost is a hundred million pounds. And wow. When I've read the stories, they've said it's going to be funded by, and I quote, the markets. Now, this is where I start to get a little bit concerned because what I would refer to as the markets wouldn't touch a a £100 million development in respect of a football club, which is in the lower season, I think they're having a good season, of, uh, of English football. What interest rates would they be charging? I think if if, if you're borrowing a hundred million pounds at eight percent, well, Oxford United don't generate much more money than that over the course of a season. So, is is Mister Kassam going to be able to put put in some interest free loans? Um, is it just going to be topped up? Is it going to be uh, owned by a third party who then rent it out to uh, Oxford United? All of this. Is uncertain, but uh, you know if if that is going to be the case, you know we we'd have to go down the Dion Dublin route and say, well, what's the yield going to be for the landlord? <laughs> you know, and the landlord would be looking for a good yield, and again, <laughs> you would be talking about a lot of money being charged in rent. You know, West Ham only pay three and a half million pounds on uh, you know, a a seven hundred million pound stadium. That's uh, that, that's a yield of of half a percent for uh, the LDCC, and then, but not not the best decision ever made by a local authority. I can't see a private sector landlord uh, being willing to go down as as low as that. Um, so, so that's that's my my cause for concern. Um, and the clock is ticking with regards to 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 the lease. Now, yeah, leases can be extended, of course. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a funny one, but it's it's going to be an expensive piece of work. Uh, if you talk to anybody in the construction industry, material costs have gone up, labour costs have gone up, transportation costs have gone up. Um, you know, it, it's it's it, it's a tough gig doing a, a big project like that. Mm. And well done for making the phrase "looking for a good yield" sound like it came from a Carry On film. <laughs> looking for a good yield, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm not sure when you say the markets in, in, can't afford that in Oxford because the two Christmas markets, £9 for a mulled wine and £25 for a candle in the teacup, I mean, it only needs a couple of good seasons and they, they'd be paying for that ground non-stop. Now, um, <laughs> our next question, Kieran, comes from somebody who would have had their New Year slightly earlier than us uh, and, and has had their Christmas come. 11 and a half months earlier than the rest of us, because it's another question from Larkin Hogel. 
which begs the question we always ask is, where did he get those naked photographs of producer Guy? Because <laughs> clearly there is some reason why Larkin Hove will simply just ask a question, everything gets dropped, and we, we answer it. They're always good questions from Larkin, I have to say. Yes, uh, and uh, one day we will fly out on Bonza Airlines. We discovered recently that the... The, the owner of Bonza Airlines is actually a fan of the podcast, which is information to <laughs> tuck away in the back pocket for when we when we do our Australian tour. Uh, Larkin Hogel's question is this, and it's, it's a very interesting one, given the different time zones in which we all live. Is it possible to price the effect of tournament location, i.e. time zones, on broadcast revenue? Last year's Women's World Cup final was played at 3 a.m. Los Angeles time, 6 a.m. New York time. And given the popularity of women's soccer in the US, it seems reasonable to assume that US broadcasters would pay one of the highest broadcast fees in the world. Would the location of the tournament hurt that broadcast deal? Yes, it, it was hurt. I and mean, if, if we take a look at the Women's World Cup, there was brinkmanship taking place um, right up to the commencement of the tournament. And that was because the broadcasters were not willing to pay the minimum prices being demanded by FIFA. FIFA seemed completely oblivious of the fact that from a broadcaster's point of view, it's a terrible thing to say, it's just another product. And there isn't a lot of, you know, and will will dedicated football fans be watching the matches at those time zones? Yes, yeah, they will, you know, and... Um, I, I suspect for URI, our, our first World Cup was probably the 1970 World Cup, and being able, being you know, begging your mum and dad to be allowed to watch those first England games um, when when they were taking place at midnight, and you know, and I, I was what seven, eight years old, um, was was a tough, tough gig. Uh, but it, of course, it has an impact upon uh, the figures. And, and therefore, um, what the broadcasters are going to pay, because the casual viewer is not going to be wanting to watch the matches. You know, they'll they'll wake, they'll watch it on breakfast TV in terms of the highlights, and they're casual fans anyway. Um, so they're not bothered about missing out on the uh, the joy of, of a ninety minutes football match. Um, and we're back to West Ham versus Brighton. Uh, on January the 2nd there. <laughs> that's, that's really annoyed <laughs> you. That short <laughs> you really have taken that personally. Kieran. That's a classic football fan. You've had so many games this season that you'd think, oh, that's a cracking game. And what's the one that sticks out? Oh, that nil-nil. It's not even one of those nil-nils as well, because sometimes you can say, somebody will come in at 85 minutes and go, oh, nil-nil. And you go, no, it's a good nil-nil. It's, just, it's a cracking, yeah, yeah. But, but that was just a nil-nil. That is one of those games where you just... 75 minutes in, you just think, get the captains together. Just say, Brighton fans have got a long journey home back to uh, South London, where most of them seem to live, it seems. I, like, I can't get on a bloody train these days without at least one Brighton fan being on it, going to or from work in central London. Anyway, our next question, although they're all... Well, when, when, the, when the fourth official put up the uh, five minutes... Uh, injury time. Both sets of fans booed because <laughs> we just wanted to go home. Uh, well, also, I think even you watch it. I, I, I was I was back playing something on Switch by then, so I was reading Judy Dench's new book, which is which is brilliant. But you you cast your eye, and you think, where the, did they get five minutes from in that second half? 
There's, it certainly wasn't added on time for excitement. Anyway, um, it's a valuable, it's a valuable away point. You know, Roy Keane was saying. Oh, yeah, no, it, it was. Yeah, we, we, we were we, we were down to the bare bones, as Harry Redknapp would have said. So yeah, it was a good point, um, and we, we kept a clean sheet for the first time in in nine months. So lots, yeah, there are positives. Uh, West Ham, boring. A lot of teams are going to be struggling like West Ham in, in January because so many Premier League teams have mm. got really good African players at the, mm. at the heart of their side. We're all going to miss them. Um, we're going to miss Jordan Ayew. I never thought I'd say that in my life. We're really going to miss Jordan Ayew. Good Lord, that's how bad things are. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Football 360 Pro Series, an online course in football business and finance which features our very own Kieran Maguire. If you want to develop serious knowledge within football business and finance, grow your network in the football industry, or you just need more than your usual two hours of Kieran every week, Football 360 Pro Series might be the solution for you. This eight-week course, starting on January the 17th, will feature a small class size, plus a combination of on-demand lessons and weekly industry expert-led workshops. And indeed, the lineup of industry experts consists of former Premier League chief executives, esteemed football agents, the general secretary of the newly formed Union of European Clubs, financial analysts with experiences at clubs like Aston Villa, Leicester, Fulham, Manchester City, Millwall and Barcelona. And also me. You'll learn everything from club financial statements to accounting for player transactions, navigating spending restrictions and conducting your own financial analysis. And even the word amortisation might appear too. Oh, and what's even better is that there's a special early bird discount for our Price of Football listeners. Use the code POFEARLYBIRD, all in capital letters. That's POFEARLYBIRD, all in capital letters, for a whopping £310 off. For more information, go to football360.online and select Pro Series. Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question comes from um, Rose Lawrence. Now, I, um, I, very many apologies if I've mispronounced that, Rose. My uh, resident in-house Welsh language name specialist is currently not available. Um, so I'm guessing it's a Welsh name, and I'm guessing I've mispronounced it, and I apologise. Uh, but Rose's question is, had Tranmere Rovers not missed out on Europe in 1994, how much would the club have benefited financially at a minimum Bearing in mind they would have had a Wembley final and at least one European match. Now, I imagine there are some football fans listening to this game and saying, come on, it's 1994, let it go. But as on a regular basis, <laughs> Palace fans still discuss the fact 
that we were cheated out of Europe when we finished third in Division One, and the UEFA panicked and let Liverpool back in instead of us into Europe. We're still going on about that. So I'm not surprised that Tranmere fans are still going on about missing out on Europe in 1994. So it's a good question, Kieran. Well, I suppose it's difficult to um, compare the money they lost then to how much that would be now. Yes, um, the the one European match. If if uh, I, I went back into the archives of UEFA, um, was probably worth around about eighty thousand Swiss francs. So this is pre Euros. So, um, um, so you know, a, a, a sizable amount because of of the nature of, of the TV deal and so on. So yeah, so, so w- worth having um, for a Wembley final. Again, if if you if if you split it you know three ways in terms of overheads and then the two teams you'd have sold out how much would ticket prices be um yeah we're, we're probably talking a yeah, hundred grand so yeah that by by the standards of Tranmere Rovers in terms of their finances uh, it it would have made uh, it would have been very beneficial to the club um and, and it would have been great to have Tranmere because uh, you know, as, as somebody, you know, I was at university in Manchester, nineteen eighty to eighty three, and every weekend I'd watch a match. You know, because it was so cheap to watch football in those days. So I'd, I'd go to Main Road, I'd go to Old Trafford, sort of, uh, or go and watch Brighton if they weren't too far away as an away match. But Friday nights was Stockport, Rochdale, or Tranmere. Um, I, I didn't have any friends at university, <laughs> so it was it was either that. So, I, so I'd go to lower league uh, because that's when they used to play the matches. So I, I've always had a bit of affection for Tranmere, as well as the fact that the Baroness used to do the half-time draw well, at Brenton Park because uh, she lived on the Wirral. I was just about to say that, Kieran. So do you, is there any possibility that uh, a 21-year-old Kieran Maguire would have spotted a... Uh, I guess he's much younger than you, Kieran. I'm not going to speculate, but let's say uh, a teenage Baroness wheeling out. I was going to say wheeling out the bag, the balls, but I'm not going to say that either. But is it possible? <laughs> is it possible that the, the Baroness may have taken out the halftime tombola while you were there? Because that's quite a romantic could, story. Could have been, so could have, yeah, and and then many years later, we our eyes crossed once again, and yeah. we, we took things further. Yeah, a romantic, romantic story right up until the time you took her to Hartlepool on your first date. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> Uh, did you answer that question, Kieran? I was distracted then by the Baroness wheeling. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, I did. Yes, yeah, I did. did. Actually, did. Yes, eighty thousand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Ethan Kirkpatrick has our next question. Ethan says, "Do we know how much BT or TNT as they are now and Sky pay to show League One, Serie A, and Bundesliga games compared to the amount they pay to show the Premier League?" Um, they they're very coy, um, okay. but. I know that Sky uh, were being asked to pay eighteen million a year for the rights for um, La Liga, so I think it would have been certainly less for for Liga. Um, Bundesliga, Sky have just renewed the deal, so I think we're probably talking somewhere in the region of you know, ten to twenty million pounds a year. Now, if we contextualise that with regards to what they're paying for the Premier League, Sky are paying around about $1.2 billion a year. So um, it's they're paying 1% of the amount that they pay for the Premier League rights. And you might say, well, that, that's not very much, but it, it's exactly the same uh, in, 
in reverse you know do do spanish broadcasters pay for premier league matches yes but you know they don't pay very much because spain's you know spanish football fans are are very proud domestic fans and therefore they support barcelona real atletico you know um, <clears throat> girona and, and and so on so the the broadcasters do do pay for this but they they don't tend to pay a lot and you quite often see um, some of the smaller broadcasters. So uh, I think it was Eleven Sports, um, who Andrea Raffrazani, who was connected with Leeds, owned Leeds for a while. His he he actually ended up with some of the European sports rights. Was hoping to pick up a big audience on the back of that, but we have a limited amount of time to watch football. Um, yeah, even though. Our partners might say at times you spend too much time. We say you know, we we can't physically watch uh, you know as many matches as perhaps we would like, and and therefore you you prioritise and you tend to prioritise EFL, SPFL, and Premier League over some of the European leagues because it's local football. You've you've you've, you've got you've got skin in the game. You know even because the fact that you know you, you and I we as, as we 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 are both very fond of football kits because we like the York City kit in the 1970s when it had the wire yeah, on it was made by Admiral. I've always liked York City. Yeah, and, and it's sort of that irrational affection for clubs, which is is part of the joy of the game. Well, it's maroon as well. Any kit that's got maroon in it is just... It wouldn't be called maroon now, would it? It'd be called Blood Sunset or something, but it's maroon with that there, white. There is, there is no such colour as maroon when you're colour blind. Oh, so, I'm sorry, Kieran. That was insane. <laughs> no, 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 there's not, not, not offended at all. It's, 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 uh, it's my, very... my, my life's a very simple one when it comes to colours. Fair point. Uh, it's just, I, I do. I, my heart breaks, Kieran, because I love colour. Um, interesting you mentioned Girona, because uh, I'm going out for a drink tomorrow night with an old friend of mine uh, oh. in Tooting, where he's from. He lives in Switzerland, but he was at he went to Girona the other night uh, to see them beat Atletico Madrid. Took his new wife there, so you, which you'll approve of. Yeah, absolutely. He, he figured that he couldn't go straight to Tooting without some sort of little <laughs> little detour between Switzerland and Tooting. So he went to Spanish. It's it's interesting how TNT and and Sky Sport um, market the the you know the overseas leagues that they show because they spend their whole time telling us that he. That the Premier League is the best league in the world by far, the most exciting league, the best quality. Sky spend the rest of their time telling us that the Championship is the second best. And then they have to go. We've got Bundesliga games on. Well, you've just spent two weeks <laughs> to listen to their shit, so I'm not entirely sure I'm going to watch that. To be perfectly honest, just because they got big flags. Um, our next question, uh, Kieran, comes from Tom Love, great name, um, and yeah. Tom says. A big fan of the podcast, thank you, Tom, and a bigger fan of the fact that my club, Bradford City, are rarely mentioned on the pod. Wait, I can't recall Bradford City being mentioned. I think we've we occasionally we mentioned the incredible crowds that they get mm. for the level that they're playing. Um, I will occasionally mention their kit, which again is has got claret and claret and yellow. So that's a mm. cracking. Yeah, one of the theories of the reason why they wear claret and yellow stripes is it back in the Victorian times. The claret was meant to represent what the directors drank, and the orange was meant to represent the beer what the players drank. Um, oh, and like that's most brilliant, it is. But like most theories about uh, kits and nicknames, I suspect it's bollocks. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> like the, like the nine theories about why West Brom are called the Baggies, all of which are total nonsense. Except for one, that's probably the real one. Uh, but Tom says, anyway, Bradford City's recent set of accounts were published. 
on the club website on the 6th of April 2023. And I was wondering if you could summarise the difference between the latest figures and those from the disastrous 2018-19 season, which to my knowledge is one of high spending and a bottom place finish in League One. From the outside looking in, it seems the club have recovered well from the previous regime of Edin Rejic. Is that right? Yes. Um, in 2018-19, uh, Bradford City lost around about £1.9 million. Um, they didn't publish a profit and loss account, so I'm not able to do a breakdown of wages and amortisation costs. But the fact that they were losing you know, 35 40 grand a week um, for a club which does have an absolutely uh, incredibly progressive and inclusive uh, season ticket yeah. policy. And, yeah. and that's resulted, I think they're averaging 14,000. 14, 14,000 for the last... It was 15 and a half, I think, last season. So, you know, it, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, as far as the 2022 accounts were concerned, those losses had been reduced by 80%. So, so they lost, you know, 300 grand. Um, they've... Uh, their, their ability to generate match day income, I think, is good. And on the back of that, that helps merchandise sales, that, that helps catering sales and so on. So there's, they're still not making a profit, but the losses seem to be um, far more easy to, to absorb as far as the owners are concerned. And, um, you know, as you know, we are, we, are, we are both asked at times, well, what about clubs that would be worth considering buying as an overseas investor? And I sometimes get to take that a little bit further, um, and without giving too many details away, Bradford is is a club which which regularly crops up in discussions because people say, "Well, if they can get fifteen thousand in you know League One, League Two, um, then clearly they have got the capacity. They they have, of course, got a history of getting as far as the Premier League, um, and it's it, it's a it's a big urban conurbation. Um, so you know, it's a club with with prospects to go further um, um Bradford is a very proud city in its own right it's very much not mm. very much not a suburb of the conurbation of Leeds which but I suspect that there are possibly some potential overseas owner who will look at the club and go well they can't compete with with Leeds in that area for fans and but they obviously can both for success because they've been in the Premier League and for fans because as you say they've they've it's an object lesson in how the smaller club in a region can still compete and make themselves financially viable despite having a you know a giant just down the road. Yeah. And again, we're both old enough to remember Bradford Park Avenue yeah. being part of the ninety two. So yeah, Bradford actually being able to be uh, a city which was is big enough to to hold two two clubs. So yeah, their 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 finances are decent, not spectacular, but they 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 have opportunities in my view. Okay, there's one thing I've learned in four years doing this pod that decent, not spectacular, is something that most clubs would would actually, at, oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent aim for, wouldn't yeah. they? How's how's your how's your week? Decent, not spectacular. Brilliant. Well done. Congratulations. Open the champagne. <laughs> uh, our final question comes from Morgan Nock, um, who I'm guessing is Welsh because that's a really brilliant Welsh name. But also, it's questions about a Welsh team, Kieran. So, you know, old Sherlock yes. here. Old South London's answer to Sherlock Holmes putting two and two together. Um, and also, it's a story we, we covered in, in the book. It's a really interesting one. as it, it's, um, it, 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 it's of certain angles 
that this this I'm trying to think the Venn diagram. That's the word I'm looking for, Kieran. The Venn diagram of this story is a. Certainly the second one we've recorded back here is fine. People will forgive us. Uh, Morgan Knox's Colwyn Bay were promoted to the Welsh Premier League four years after switching from the English Pyramid. I imagine they had to dramatically reduce admission prices when moving from the Northern Premier League to Cymru North level, and player wages may have followed suit. Could you take a look into the finances around the decision to switch and whether it's now looking like a sensible decision as they reach the top flight in Wales? Off the top of my head, Kieran, I think... I remember their owner saying he wanted to move back to the Welsh Pyramid because it was costing them £100,000 a month more, I think, to be in the English Pyramid. But, of course, the other issue is the FA of Wales, not happy about them leaving in the first place and not particularly happy Mm. about them coming back. So without going into that particular can of worms, um, can we we just stick to the the finance of this question? Because it's it's a very interesting one. And I think their crowds... Are, I think three and a half times higher than the next biggest in in the league they play. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the Welsh is for can of worms. Do you know what it sounds like? It should be can of worms, but it's okay. it's one of the. I'm not going to. It's my favourite Welsh, and my my friend Catherine, who listens to this, will do a nut because she hates me saying this. Because my favourite Welsh word is the word for microwave, which is popty ping. Which is, which is, I, I, don't, I don't care, I don't care how proud a Welsh person you are. That's that's it's very good. I used to love watching. There used to be um, uh, a Welsh soap opera on uh, lunch times midweek. Pobbly cum. Uh, that's not people of the valley. So if you're occasionally off sick from school, you'd watch this, and it used to make me laugh because it was in Welsh, and every now and again they'd go Concord. Yeah, oh, okay, Concord's fine. Never is it. <laughs> But it's a beautiful language, the language of the angels. We're not taking it. Yes. Catherine will be, Catherine will be furious. <laughs> but it is Popty Ping. It's a great, it's, it's, it's what a microwave it's does. Yeah. Yes. Um, looking at the accounts of Colwyn Bay Football Club Limited, um, they are a small company. So again, you, you can't go into granular detail. But things do seem to have improved. And if we take a look at the accounts for 2022, um, they've, they've either made a £200,000 profit or the owners have put money in and they made a profit, which combined comes to £200,000. So that, that is fantastic. Yeah. And it, it's a club which clearly therefore has more resources than they did when they were in the English pyramid. Um they can now have more local derbies. They can have greater progression. Um, there is the potential benefits in terms of UEFA participation and UEFA uh, distributions as well. So from a financial point of view, um, this would appear to be a, a decision which has uh, has borne fruit um, and they're doing very well. Uh, and uh, I, I used to teach uh, in North Wales. Uh, so uh, I've know Colwyn Bay quite well and uh, a, a few a few wild nights uh, when, when I was out teaching accountants you know it, it can get no <laughs> get no more rock and roll than that can it uh, remember Kieran what happens in Colwyn Bay stays in Colwyn Bay you know the rules it's it's interesting <laughs> yes. though we I mean I know from from visiting there uh, Sally was brought up in Clandidna uh, but also from talking to people from that club as we have done recently it, it may not occur to a lot of our listeners that 
there's so many fans of Liverpool and Everton up there. North, so the North, oh, Wales, yeah. North Wales clubs are not only competing with each other for fans, they're competing with with, with those two, which are only you know, 20, 30-odd miles away. So there's a huge contingent of those fans, which is always going to be an issue, isn't it? For you know, We just talked about how Bradford deal with having Leeds down the road. You know, Colwyn Bay are never going to be able to compete with, with Liverpool and Everton in terms of attracting new fans, you'd imagine. So it's a miracle that they do, and that's why they have to find other ways. And that leads us back to discussing about 4G pitches because that's why we were talking to plan didn't know mm. so it's it's a constant daily struggle for clubs in that league to try and, and make money when you're surrounded by those big dogs yeah and then it comes down to being a community hub local pride the fact that you can physically go and watch the teams yeah because you know that those fans in north wales um you know Goodison and Anfield are sold out every week because both clubs have got you know fantastic fan bases, and then there's cost issues on top of that. So I think it allows you know fans to to develop that relationship. And, and football football is all about relationships. Yeah, that that's that's why we go there. Yeah, and if any angry Welsh listeners want to tweet us, can you do it in Welsh? Because by the time I've Google translated it, I'll have I'll have calmed down a little bit. Uh, thank you to everyone who has donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you, and it'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com, and you can go to that same website, priceoffootball.com, to buy one of our books or to get yourself a Price of Football T-shirt. We'll be back on Thursday with our customary news pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, thank you as always for the interactions. Um, <laughs> I think I've been uh, thoroughly grilled uh, and microwaved by Nottingham Forest fans. Um, but uh, to be fair, all of them have been uh, very, very reasonable. I just wanted to know more information. And, and there isn't a huge amount of new information to, to depart. And, and that's that's always an issue that the you know, social media in particular fills vacuums very, very quickly. Um, thank you for all the support for the show. It, it genuinely, you know, we've, we've had lots of people uh, tweeting pictures of the book yeah. um, and uh, we, we thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we, we'd, we'd great fun putting it together as well. If, if you want to support the show, Patreon is clearly one vehicle that will get you ad free. Uh, if, if, at certain, you know, certainly the, the, the top two tiers. Um, but you can actually help us just, just by giving the show a review. Go onto the app, um, say whatever you want. You know, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not begging for five stars, but uh, uh, say, say whatever you want. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Sylvester Stallone and Andy Holt. <laughs> and I, I would pay a fortune. I'd, I'd <laughs> sign up on for the, for the Patreon special for that too. I, I watched the Sylvester Stallone a documentary uh, over Christmas, like you know, many people do, you're mm. flicking through. And he, he came across as a fascinating character. And uh, as I think it's well known, we're, we're, we're very fond of Andy as well. Oh, well I, uh, it's one of those rare occasions, Kieran, when I've interviewed both of those people. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I interviewed Sylvester Stallone uh, for Match of the Day too, when Bill Kenwright did me an enormous favour, God rest his soul, when I was set up. Um, my editor said, Sylvester Stallone's going to Goodison Park, and I went, so? He said, well, we think it'll be a good story. I went, well, the bloke who was Rocky, 30 years? I don't think so. I don't think anyone will notice, will they? Cut to, 
I, I don't know what it was on the Richter scale, but the whole of the, both players on the, both teams applauding me onto the pitch at the start of the game. This is when there were rumours that he was going to buy into the the whole ground just on the on the on their feet chanting the Rocky theme tune. Uh, it was oh, a wow. huge media circus. But Bill Kenwright had told Sylvester's people that I represented uh, Match of the Day two and um, was well known as a blue collar working class fan. So uh, just before half time, I got a tap on the shoulder. There's two huge blokes who beckoned. I got I got the only interview with with Sylvester Stallone for so Superb. who was just the most interesting. Tiny, tiny little fella. But he's just the most interesting, fascinating bloke. I, he's like one of the best 10 minutes of of my life. And then, cut, you, you may remember, there's a famous of, there's a shot of him taking his first ever sip of Bovril uh, at the start of the second half. <laughs> and it, it's it's too hot for him. You can YouTube it. It's, you've put Sylvester Stallone testing well. It, it's, it's hilarious. And Andy didn't swear as much as Andy Holt did during the interview. Uh, and also, I'd say those my favourite photograph that we got sent over Christmas was um, of a father and son who had given each other the book. So they yes. un- unwrapped the book on Christmas Day, and, they, they, and I, I just wanted to see the look on the, the, their mother and wife's face. <clears throat> and, oh my God, they've both got the same present. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Bye, son, for the